2: This week on the Pet Buzz, we're talking about how coat color can affect breed health.
3: How do you describe your relationship status with your pet? Are you a pet owner, guardian, or pet parent?
2: Learn about the top 10 reasons pets go to the vet.
3: Find out about bark. Box's newest initiative, and it is not a box full of dog treats and toys. Good morning, I'm Petrendologist Charlotte Reed, and I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck.
2: You are listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio, where we want to help you take better care of your pets. We welcome our listeners who tune in each week from around the world. Let's start out with you, Dr. Fleck. What's up? What's new?
3: Well, I know we're going to have a very exciting show today. I can't wait.
2: You know what the my favorite thing is? Sometimes in the middle of the night, I like to watch Dr. Fleck sleep because all all of the dogs pile on him and he can't move he's got one on his head one next to his ear i have to put i'm going to have to put a picture up because that's the best thing so i want to know does your dog or cat sleep on you what about you andrew oh
1: yeah 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 my cat he's always on my bed um, we're always
4: snuggling
2: i tell you what he, he can't get enough
3: it must <laughs> be i smell better than you do
2: <laughs> i don't know i have no idea about that maybe they just like to sleep with you you generate more heat I don't, mm. i'm not i don't generate that much heat
3: well, let's not forget about Andrew.
2: What's up, Andrew? Hey, Got anything new? Much.
1: No, not much at all. The uh, same stuff, just keeping busy.
2: Liking your new job? I'm loving my new job. Thank good, you, Good, good. <laughs> okay, so let's kick off the show. Let's start out with some celebrity pet news. Okay. The New York Post revealed this past week the world's wealthiest pets. So let's have you guys take a guess. Whom do Sadie, Sunny, Lauren, Layla, and Luke belong to? Any any ideas?
1: Nope. No idea.
2: Okay. So these five dogs, the Cocker Spaniel, Sadie, that should be the biggest hint. Springer Spaniel, Sunny and Lauren and Golden Retrievers, Layla and Luke belong to the queen, Oprah Winfrey. So check this out. The TV host and entertainment magnet set up a $30 million trust fund for her pets. Well-being should anything happen to her. Okay. Here's another one. You know her. It's all about her reputation. So find out with Taylor Swift's Olivia Benson and Grumpy Cat. Find out how much money they're worth by visiting our social media channels. Wait a minute.
3: Explain that more to me. Taylor Swift's Olivia Benson's Grumpy what does that all only- mean?
2: Oh my God, you're so not with it. It's like <laughs> such an age difference now. So, the article in the New York Post talked about the wealthiest pets. So, oh. I picked some of them, the okay. Americans, off of the list. So, we talked about Oprah, like, right? Yeah. You, you keep it She's up cool. Now. You're yeah. keeping up. So, she got okay. $30 million. Yeah. And then Taylor Swift has She's a cat. She's cool. Yeah. Taylor Swift has a cat named Olivia Benson. Oh,
3: okay. Okay, like
2: the character in NYPD.
3: Oh. Right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? Okay. Or
2: whatever the show was. And then there's Gumpy Cat. So I'm not telling you. you got to go to the social media channels to find out. So let's move forward with our global news block. Okay. Okay, So dog lovers will want to check this Netflix original series about Man's Best Friend. You know what next... Netflix is, Dr. Fleck? Uh, Yes. Okay, good. Netflix is premiering a new original docu-series on streaming platform in just a few weeks. The new series from Glenn Zipper and Amy Berg, I'm going to try to get them to come on the show, is set to premiere on November 16th, and will follow a few different storylines about the bond between people and their pets from countries including Syria, Japan, Italy, Costa Rica, and the United States. Let me give you a hint as to what you're going to see. You're going to see one story. It's going to be awesome. It's about a guy who left Syria who actually has to get his dog back from Syria. Oh, wow. That's going to be interesting. Okay,
3: you've got one story? Wow, I'm really interested in that. Yeah. Let me tell you about the newest initiative from BarkBox Subscription Service. It is BarkBox Dog Park, but it's not just any dog park. It's a dog park built 100% for dogs. Okay. At bark, bark Park, Dog bark, Owners Bark, bark
2: Park. <laughs> Dr. flag, we got to wrap this up. Okay,
3: At Bark Park, dog owners do not take their dogs to the park. Oh, it is the dogs themselves who bring their owners along with them for the journey. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that cute? That is awesome. <laughs> See how contemporary I am?
2: So contemporary. Yes, thank you. Is there any more information?
3: Oh, uh, Sure. Opening earlier this year and running until November 18th, which happens to be my (laughs) birthday, Lucky Dogs can visit Bark's First Bark Park in Nashville, Tennessee, and enjoy everything they love about being dogs with other dogs. For either a daily fee, a four-week pass, or a seasonal membership, dogs receive an exclusive enamel membership pin to wear them with pride okay so basically we gotta wrap
2: it up so anyway okay. basically it's a cool dog park and you can go have your dog run wild and you can sit around watch a movie have some beer and some coffee I was having with fun doing that one I too. bet you were yeah. having fun doing that Shoot. one we're gonna take a commercial break and be back with our first guest and you're gonna love this Paul McGreevy Dr. Paul McGreevy you're gonna love him just as much as I do great guy.
1: com. There are thousands of dogs and cats housed in shelters that need your help. Local shelter professionals and volunteers give their heart and soul to help unwanted animals and deserve your support. Americans give millions every year to national animal organizations. But unless you give to your local shelter, you can't be sure that money will make it to the pets that need it most. Adopt, volunteer, and give to your local animal shelter. To find your local shelter, go to HumaneForPets.org.
2: Well, many of you know I have English toy spaniels. I actually have all four varieties, and I've always wondered if the color impacts anything about their personality or even their health. But now a new study reveals that a dog's color could impact longevity or increase health
3: issues. And joining us today to discuss how the life expectancy of Labrador Retrievers are connected to the color of their coat is lead author. Paul McGreevy, PhD. Dr. McGreevy, thanks for joining us on the Pet Buzz this morning.
5: It's my great pleasure.
3: So, Dr. McGreevy, tell us about this study. How did it come about, too?
5: Okay, this study aimed to describe the demography, that's the, the distribution, if you like, of the, the animals in the population, and the mortality, and the commonly recorded diseases in Labrador retrievers, in, with a focus on the UK. So we took data from vet clinics in the UK for this study.
2: And then how did the study come about? Tell us about, I think the organization was um, Vet Compass?
5: The way this study came about is through a, a, a program called Vet Compass, which we started in the UK maybe eight years ago, and we've allowed it to um, blossom in Australia more recently over the last couple of years. And that uses those invaluable data from from vet clinics, data that would otherwise perhaps go uninvestigated, and it allows us to create a, a big data set. And that, the beauty of that big data set means that we can begin to explore which diseases affect which breeds at what age, and it looks at the influence of, for instance, neutering as well on on the complexion of diseases that dogs and cats and horses get.
2: Wow, that's kind of exciting. So, Vet Compass is a third party that connects with the veterinarians and then pulls their data. Is that is that what you're telling us?
5: Vet Compass is a consortium of vet schools in the in the UK and the and in Australia um, that has in Australia has government funding to make this happen Ooh. because we can see the value of veterinary data in disease surveillance. For instance, in Australia, we're very lucky we don't have rabies. And having this sort of surveillance system online means that potentially we can use veterinary clinic data to alert us when there's a cluster of neurological diseases, for instance, in Western Australia.
2: That would be great here. Yeah, it's It's very
3: valuable, especially with public health diseases.
2: And public funding. I mean, wow. Look at you that that's sounds right. great that's,
5: that's why we're that's why we're so excited because companion animal disease is so poorly funded generally but if we can if if you like if we can show the government how important this is for public health then we get their attention finally and we don't have to to compete with small um, funding bodies to, to, to get their attention. You know, we, we see a lot of companion animal research that focuses on nutrition and pharmacology. This is going right to the core and asking what that's seeing on the ground.
3: Yeah, poorly funding and poorly reporting.
5: The, one of the beauties of this consortium is that we're committed to open access publications. Wonderful!
2: That's great. Okay, so let's talk about the study. So we, uh, so based on the study results with these labradors, is it true that chocolate labs um, don't live as long as their black and yellow counterparts?
5: That's right. What we found was that the the median longevity for the non chocolate colored dogs was twelve point one years, but um, that was considerably, significantly longer than for the chocolate-colored dogs, which had a life expectancy of only 10.7 years. So we're talking about it, roughly a 10% decrease in, in lifespan.
3: Wow, that's a lot. Let's talk a little bit about the study. Uh, how many labs were used for your study, and what, what was the protocol?
5: Okay, so we were able to gather data from... Thirty-three thousand or so Labradors that had received veterinary care in the UK in the year 2013. We use that year because we've used that for previous studies on pugs and Cavaliers, for instance. I have a question.
2: I have a question. Does that include um, the Queen's Labradors?
5: We'll never know because this is (laughs) de-identified data, Charlotte. I'd I'd love to tell you, but I'd I'd have to kill you. Um, So. I wouldn't kill you, of course. um, Yeah, so they're de-identified data, that's why we get ethics approval to to explore these data. We we are allowed to retain the microchip number and the um, postcode, or zip code as you'd call it, so we can do spatial geography um, and look at the influence of the area in which the animals are. That's an exciting plus here in in Australia because we can't do that in the UK. And um, so we're able to to gather data, in this case, on um, 33,000 dogs of a single breed that attended vet clinics within 12 months. And then we drilled down into a random sample of over 2,000 dogs and opened the the records and read the records for those dogs.
2: I mean, this is so interesting because, as you know, not only, I guess, in the UK, or maybe I'm wrong about that, but I think in Australia and the United States, the Labrador is the most popular breed of dog. Mm -hmm.
5: Well, it, the Labrador was the most popular breed of dog in the UK until this year. And um, this year it was overtaken by. Drum roll.
2: Ah, uh, because that's interesting that you mentioned that because I know the British Greeting Card Association wants French bulldogs off of cards. Mm-hmm. Sidebar
5: right well i'm i am pleased to hear that because we know from Vet compass data that that the short skull dogs are dying 30 percent earlier than the normal skull dogs the same height
3: mm-hmm.
5: the same body weight so we've got a huge ethical problem here um as as a, a profession because of course we we are profiting from from these diseased animals um and yet it's our, our professional requirement that we we do whatever we can to advance welfare so there's a very interesting debate growing, as oh. I'm sure you you know, about how we're conflicted by having this enormous boom in brachycephalic breeds.
2: I know. I mean, you know, this is just a sidebar for all the listeners. Me, personally, I have English toy spaniels or, you know, uh, toy spaniels, um, Charlie's, uh, or E.T.'s, depending on if you're what side of the pond you're on. So it's always been really interesting for me. But I want to get back to the study. Um, but I'll have to talk to you another time because I'm just so curious. This is so fascinating. Okay, so if you've just joined us, we're talking with Dr. Paul McGreevy about how the impact of Labrador coat color impacts their health. Um, So what were some of the common, in the study, what were some of the common health problems of the dogs and did the chocolate or brown dogs have more health problems? I would assume they
5: would have more health problems. Well, that's a good guess, Charlotte. What, what I think of with Labradors are the three O's. So we've got otitis externa, overweight and obesity, and finally osteoarthritis. So these are the, the three big disorders in Labradors. And and that won't come as a surprise to any of your listeners because they're bulky dogs, therefore they, they tend to put on weight. They, they don't tend to stop eating when they should. There's even a gene being discovered for that. And they also therefore put on bulk that is going to increase their risk of degenerative joint disease so the three o's otitis externa the ears obesity and overweight taken together and osteoarthritis are the big three what we found interestingly was that and it's a bit of a surprise is that the uh, overweight and obesity dogs were were not significantly associated with neutering in the females, but they were associated with neutering in the males. Hmm. So that's an interesting finding itself. We'll have to explore that further. Um, and there are lots of lessons. We are talking about public health um, a moment ago. There are lots of lessons from the different breeds of dogs that can have a, an impact on human health. But there's some very interesting lessons to learn about obesity, for instance. You- but to address the question about chocolates, um, we unfortunately, found that the chocolate labs had twice the level of, of otitis externa, that's ear infections, and four times the, the levels of, of skin disease. So here we're thinking about um, pyotraumatic dermatitis or what you might call hot spot or, or wet eczema. These skin diseases and ear diseases were significantly more likely in the chocolate labs.
3: Hmm. H- have you noticed how Charlotte's setting you up for a second interview
2: <laughs> second, <laughs> second, third, and maybe fourth.
3: Well, let's get back to the study. So do the higher rates of these illnesses mean a shorter lifespan for the chocolate labs? And, well, and, and if so, by how much? That,
5: well, the, the higher rates of disease are, are a great surprise, and they've not been found in other breeds when, when color has been looked at as a risk factor. But whether they're directly shortening the dog's lives is yet to be revealed. My concern here is that um, those skin and ear diseases create uh, an accumulative immunological burden on the dogs. And um, in humans, that constant um, or, or relentless um, in immunological um, burden has been linked to shorter lifespan and uh, lower quality of life. So we need to take this seriously. Um, what we're going to do to try and to help to unpack this is we're working with geneticists um, here at the University of Sydney to, to explore what sort of tests we need to take from affected dogs. But we're also going to be conducting the same Vet Compass study using the same protocol on Australian Labradors. Um, and the, the purpose of that will be not least to reveal whether we've got the same suite of diseases. If we fail to, to show that, then um, that would suggest that the UK has had Um, a particular focus on certain bloodlines that that Australia has been spared. And that will help us triangulate into the the cause of um, this finding and and any uh, relationship with longevity.
2: Oh, that's really interesting. You know, it's like while you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, here in the United States, one of the most popular breeds of dog is the English Bulldog. And there was a study done, I guess, at UC Davis, maybe I have the university wrong, that just said the, the, dog, the dog is gone. Just the health. There's no way to make the health of that breed much better. You know? Do you remember that study? I do. Yeah, I mean you would have to actually insert some other type of dog to kind of work with it. It's so this whole vet compass thing is so interesting. Selective to me. breeding. I know, it's just great. Okay, so I guess my question was in terms of genetics, like how does this how does this work? Like how are these studies like I guess with the science How do you do the science?
5: <laughs> um well, <clears throat> I'm not a geneticist, I'm just a, Okay. A, a <laughs> um, with a particular interest in behaviour and and welfare. Um, so I w- refer to my colleague in a, the um, the same building as I work in, um, that's Professor Claire Wade, who is a world leader in canine genetics. And she's going to um, help us ensure that we, we make the right steps in the next direction. Um, she has confirmed that, in her view, um, the results we're seeing seem to suggest that a small number of... Founder ancestors for chocolate um, have have been used in the Labrador um, breed, um, and and there's some suggestion that there was there's an acceptance among Labrador people that that the Browns, as they're sometimes called, may be less robust. Um, they they may be less favoured in in, the, um, in in the working field. So uh, originally these retrievers were used, of course, in Canada, and um, chocolates were rarely seen. <coughs> in the the working field. Um, They do have a different retina to the yellows and blacks, which is to me fascinating because I'm strongly of the belief that the way you see the world will affect your behavior. Hmm. I've shown previous studies from my laboratory have shown that dogs with different skull shapes have different retinas they actually see the world differently, and I think that goes some way to explaining why they behave differently. If you think about the sight hounds with their long, pointy noses, mm-hmm. and the short skull dogs that are so good at engaging with us, so yes, there's there's something very interesting going on here. It, it, we may eventually work out why it was that the yellows and blacks were, were favoured in the in the hunting field. We know that the, the brown colour is the chocolate is is recessive, so you have to have both parents carrying at least one of the genes to, to have chocolate puppies. Um, so that may have encouraged people to focus on breeding from certain bloodlines, certain dogs, um, and may have tempted them to take their eye off health. And that, that is always a, a mistake to make.
3: Well, it's just so integrated, isn't it? Uh, you know, all, all pet owners are, are really interested in in the results of, of your study, just your study in general. Are there some surveys being done elsewhere too?
5: Well, yes, we've, we've got um, all of the vet schools in Australia are part of the Vet Compass Consortium and we go to great lengths to give everybody equal and equitable access to the data. So um, each vet school has got a list of five or six breeds that they're going to focus on, on the, in the next couple of years. So we'll be able to tell you about Cavaliers, Pugs, West Highland Whites, Great Danes, French Bulldogs and so forth. Um, in the fullness of time. So it's a concerted effort, and it's really wonderful that we've got all of the vet schools who might otherwise potentially see themselves as competitors. We've got them all playing nicely, and we've got government support. That's why we're so excited, and I'm glad you can see why we're excited.
2: Sure. I mean, I think it's great. It's funny, because we had... a group of gals not such a long time ago, maybe in the last year, who they were a genetic team. And they had... I mean, one of the things that was really interesting about the pug, they said the, the the pug is almost the foundation stock of most toy breeds. So I'd be really interested as you move along in your research and what results you find out about the pug.
5: Okay, yeah, let's keep in touch.
2: Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, one of the things... um I think this would be really interesting is for those people who want to go buy a Labrador, whether they buy um, a a Labrador or they go down the designer dog road and purchase Labradoodles.
5: Right. Well, I'm I'm going to remind everyone here that we're talking about data from the UK. So we don't know whether it has any relevance to the US Labradors. And we definitely need to do the same study in the U.S. before we can make any comments on, on how your general main body of listeners um, need to respond to these sorts of information.
2: No, I mean, no, I, and I completely understand that. I just, you know, it's something that you just put out there, and so people start thinking about it. Because far too many times we find people who buy these breeds of dog, and then, of course, you know, they, they think they, everything tells you on the web, don't go and buy a dog at a store, but then they do. But at least it's something that'll force people, just hearing this, whether it's true to the US or not, you know, once your study comes out for UK versus Australia, it's something, I think, for people to think about. It makes them want to do more research before buying a dog.
5: We hope it will. Yes, that's a a brilliant take-home message. The more research you you can see the parents, then you're you're really cooking with gas, as we say. You, You know, you've really got to put some hard yards in, and that's why... Um, There are so many questions about um, dogs that are sold through pet shops and through puppy mills and and, um, increasingly online. Um, I think we owe it to the best breeders to celebrate what they're doing well. And eventually I anticipate there will be data on each breed showing which countries have which disorders and what the breeders are actually doing about those disorders. So we'll be able to prioritise the unwelcome traits and work out which have the most effect on welfare, and people can begin to vote with their dollars and encourage people in the breeding communities to do the very best they can for their breed. Dr.
3: McCreevy, what an intriguing study that you're doing. It's very, very helpful for uh, the canine world and for mankind as it interacts. We thank you for joining us today uh, and sharing, of course, all this research. Where can we learn more? Can you give us your website?
5: Well, if you just search for a vet compass, you'll, you'll find um, the UK and the, the Australian sites. And there's a wealth of data on, on both of those. I mean, in, in the UK, we now have data on 50 million episodes of veterinary care. And you know, when we get to that sort of scale, We know we're delivering um, very important information. So thank you guys for your interest in our work.
3: Well, I hope you know that Charlotte's already set you up for the second interview.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I have, but I think you know that. Well, everyone, thanks again, Dr. Paul McGreevy, for, for being here discussing the coat color, how the coat color of Labradors can have an impact on, on health. Now, we are going to let Dr. McGreevy go back to doing his research because he's, you know, it's thank, early. You, thank, <laughs> thank you so you. much for joining us. Stay tuned and we'll be right back.
0: Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen, too. Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. Yeah.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm pet Charlotte Reed.
3: And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck.
2: Now, I have a question for all of you. Do you consider yourself a pet owner, your pet's guardian, or his or her pet parent? Our next guest is going to define the terms and explain why it's important to understand the legal implications of the three.
3: And joining us today is Deborah Horowitz, DVM, who is a board-certified veterinary behaviorist. She is affiliated with Veterinary Behavioral Consultations in St. Louis, Missouri. Dr. Horowitz, thank you so much for joining us this morning on the Pet Buzz.
4: Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
3: Hey, before we get started, why do we need to understand the concept of pet ownership, guardianship, or pet parent status?
4: Well... In the, in the long term, we may not need to know the differences, but in the short term, it is relatively important because it can have an impact on what may happen to you as the person who lives with that pet.
2: Well, you know, that's really interesting, Dr. Horowitz. Now, can you do me a favor? Can you please define a pet owner and what are the legal implications of pet ownership?
4: When you're an owner, then the... Animals you own are considered property, and that's a legal relationship between you and an object. So your pet is considered like your table, like your car, and can't just be taken from you. Uh, But it also means that the value may be limited by the courts to the actual value of the animal, like it would be to your car or your table.
2: Okay, that that makes sense because I believe in a lot of legal cases if a pet dies or gets injured, um, a lot of things that are resolved in the courts have to do with the monetary value of that pet at the time, correct?
4: Some of them have to, but actually um, when you are, it depends who is involved on the other side of the suit because, of course, there's negligence and there's the obligation for the person who was had the animal in their possession not to do any harm what you're referring to is the general idea of pain and suffering which is something that has not traditionally been offered for ownership but uh, it has been recognized in some cases recently in the united states when it comes to animals
3: Hmm. well let's move on to guardianship then what's the legal difference between a pet guardian and a pet owner. A person who is
4: a guardian has the power and is charged with the obligation of taking care of that individual. And is in, because they can't administer their own affairs. And the guardian must act in the best interest of the individual. In the case of being a guardian, someone can take you to court and say you are not a proper guardian of your animal and I want to take it from you which is something they can't do when it's property. So for example, um, let's say you're someone who decided not to um, spay or neuter your pet, but there was someone else who thought that was irresponsible and they wanted you to do that. They could petition the court if you were the guardian, the legal guardian, which people are not legal guardians of their pets by law at the moment. If you were the legal guardian, they could petition the court to have that animal removed from your guardianship because they thought it was in the best interest of the pet that they be spayed or neutered. And you'd have to go to court over that.
2: Interesting. Interesting. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with Dr. Deborah Horowitz to define the terms pet owner, pet guardian, pet parent, and the legal implications of each one. So it's interesting because a lot of times I think... We generally are hearing all these terms being thrown about, and I think people don't really understand, right, Dr. Fleck? They don't understand which each means. So I think for for the most part, we're pet owners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think if under you... Under the law, you're under, a pet owner. Under the law, you're a pet owner. But guardianship yeah. implies that you have to... There seems to be, like, an obligation of, like, basic care there. If someone doesn't think you're doing what you're supposed to be doing for your pet... I mean, if that was the case, if guardianship was applicable, I think. Correct.
4: Guardianship is a legal term that has a legal definition. Owner also has a, a legal implication but and you but no one can take things from me without a lawful proceeding but it i'm not an attorney so i can't tell you but i know that there are differences for example people who have their animals removed for neglect is different than because they're an owner than they were if it was guardian
3: yeah we had a little conversation before we started the interview about what how i write up my medical records and i'm i'm constantly changing pet pet owner Guardian, etc., and it just—you know—pet ownership just to me doesn't sound as nice as. Well, you said it sounded guardian. like slavery. Yeah, that's what I think. No, I don't want to.
2: Well,
4: I—I I think that was when uh, the guardian um, movement began about ten years ago. It was spearheaded by the group in defense of animals because they felt that owners should be classified as guardians, that guardianship would encourage people to provide better care and prevent loose and straight pets, and those types of things, that those would become legal obligations. As I talk about in the article that some studies that were done shows that it doesn't really make any difference to people. That those terms are used interchangeably. But the difference is under the eyes of the law as opposed to if you say pet guardian or caregiver, uh, it, under the eyes of the law, you're still an owner. So you can call yourself whatever works for you and whatever makes your relationship more meaningful. Um, but the gist of it
2: is you're a pet owner. By div-
4: Your pets are considered under law as, as property. And in one respect, I think that there's good to that because we should take care of things that belong to us, especially if we don't expect them to move on and be able to take care of themselves, we, which our pets are, are like that. We, we don't expect that they're going to grow up one day and get a job and leave home. Wouldn't that they're be great?
2: Some, they could bring in some dough, Yeah, especially wow. our seven dogs.
3: Yeah. I don't own my kids, but they sure did cost me a lot of money. And they still cost you money, <laughs> and they're all grown up.
2: <laughs> and out of school and married and living on their own um, and having kids. But your dog's never going to do that. And your dog's never no. going to give you
4: grandchildren.
2: And so Yay. the idea
4: that uh, pet ownership is an onerous way to say our obligation, I think we can differ about that. In veterinary medicine, there are very strong beliefs what pet owners should do for their pets. Yes, We emphasize that all the time. Your dogs should have heartworm testing and heartworm medication, and they should be tested for parasites and yearly vaccinations and dental care. And when they get older, they be seen twice a year. So we feel like there are lots of obligations involved in being a good pet guardian, owner, whatever word you want to use, uh, because they can't acquire those things by themselves.
2: So let's talk about pet parent. That's a term that we're hearing a lot lately. We consider pets are four-legged family members. So a lot of people say they use the term pet parent. And, And like I said, it's been thrown around. I don't particularly like using this term. And then you both can comment. And the reason is I'm always perplexed by this term because I always say you can't put down a family member unless a condition exists. I mean, think of those Texas parents right now who are fighting to keep their child on life support. You know, they have to go to court, they have to go through a process. Whereas with people doing euthanasia, they can just decide, you know, okay, I'm going to put my pet down. There's no legal process they have to go through. So I always think that using the term parent, I just say pet owner or fur kids. I think fur kids is a fur ter- uh, fun term to use. When we think in terms of what a parent really is, You can be a parent to a child no matter what your relationship
4: is to them, whether they're biological, whether they're adopted, whether you're a blended family, Um, you can be a parent to them because what we do as parents is we nurture them and take care of them until they're able to take care of themselves. That's what parenting means. Our pets will never be able to take care of themselves. The problem that I have with pet parents as a definition it's not really how people take care of their pets, but the assumption that goes along with thinking that your pets are people. Pet, dogs especially have co-evolved with humans over thousands of years, and they have taken some of our traits and interpreted them and used them. They can follow pointing gestures. They watch us so they know what we're going to do. They're much better at reading our moods than we are at reading theirs. And what happens is, Over time, we have begun to anthropomorphize dogs and assume that they're thinking the same way we are. And as a behaviorist, I've seen situations where, based on that assumption, they think their dog or their cat should do certain things or understand certain things, that they can't. At the end of the day, your dog is a dog and your cat is a cat.
3: You know, so true, so true. Um, I just like euphemisms, I guess. You know, I just don't like, you know, ownership. It just, it, I just think it has a bad connotation. Guardianship just didn't seem like it gave us enough uh, of what but we you really don't want feel. It, but you don't want to be and called then, a and pet then, parent. And then as a pet parent, that I mean, we, just like you said, doctor, it it's bringing about too much humanization for the for the pet too. So. Come up and make a new term, would you, so that we can well, put I mean it in? Well, I
4: caregiver. Caregiver's a good one. That's what we are. We're their caregivers. Uh, yeah. And I don't actually care what people call their pets. I think in the article I bring to light this this new research that's been done where they have trained dogs go in an MRI. And they watch their brains reacting when they present them with certain situations. And one of them was, do they react differently to a familiar voice and an unfamiliar voice. And lo and behold, they react differently to a familiar voice. We all know that. So that, you know, a certain part of their brain lights up when it's a familiar voice as opposed to an unfamiliar voice. We kind of knew that was a way when we talk to our dogs, they do something different than if someone else talked to our dogs. But the other study was looking at how dogs responded when their owner either pretended to give a treat to a fake dog, or threw the treat away. And the people who did the study thought that the dogs responded more when they attempted to give the treat to the fake dog and that perhaps the dogs were jealous. And this created a flurry of
3: rebuttals. Hmm. Well, no matter what label we give the dogs, no matter what we say they are, please tell us what does every pet deserve?
4: What every pet deserves is safety and security to know that you're going to take care of them. And, of course, they're be free of fear and distress and hunger and thirst and have their illnesses taken care of, be free of disease and pain, and that we do cherish them. But my personal op- opinion is I love dogs for their dogginess, and I love cats for their feline attributes. And I don't want them to be people. Amen. I have enough people to share my house with. (laughs)
3: Amen.
4: I I think that's great. I think we should celebrate what makes dogs dogs. And it's nice to know that they look at some situations and react like we do. But, man, I just love watching my dog stick his nose in the ground and wag its tail at high speed because it's smelling something really good. That's such
2: dogginess. I just enjoy it. I love that. Let's end it there. Yes. Dogs will be dogs. And I love the dogginess. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was Dr. Deborah Horowitz discussing Do pets have parents, guardians, or owners? Thank you so much for being here with us, Dr. Horowitz. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. Very enjoyable. Now, before you go, just give us your website.
4: My website is www.vbcstl.com.
2: Great. Well, like I said, that was Dr. Deborah Horowitz discussing Do pets have parents? guardians or ownership. And of course, we're going to post that article up on our social media channels so that you can see that article written by Dr. Horowitz. Up next, we're talking about the most expensive dog and cat insurance claims to date. This is a segment not to be missed. And I'm going to say it starts at about $28,000 and goes from there. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. (music)
1: Does your
0: pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com.
3: I'm veterinarian, Dr. Michael Fleck. And I'm pet trendologist, Charlotte Reed. Here at the Pet Buzz, we are urban, suburban, and country. country.
2: We never get tired of saying that. Mm -mm. Well, research shows that one in three pets will need urgent vet care this year, and every six seconds, an owner is given a vet bill of more than $1,000. I can't believe that. Can you? No. Unbelievable. In other words, taking care of pets and dealing with emergencies and common health care problems for dogs and cats can be very very expensive
3: yes it can and joining us to talk about the cost of pet health care and the top 10 reasons why dogs visit the vet is rob jackson ceo of healthy paws pet insurance rob thanks for joining the pet buzz today
6: well thank you for having me
3: what why not you start out by telling us about healthy paws pet insurance
6: okay Well, Healthy Paws was founded in 2009. Um, We've got uh, now 368,000 pets in the house. Uh, We are the number one customer-rated company through all the review sites, and that's probably because of our our comprehensive plan for unexpected veterinary care, you know, accidents and illnesses, those things that uh, uh, can really impact your your, your pocketbook. And so we have a a comprehensive plan that... uh, Uh, really takes care of all accidents and illnesses, so long as the clinical symptoms and signs weren't uh, uh, in existence prior to the enrollment, uh, it's going to be covered. Simple as that.
2: Great. And what I think is so marvelous about what you guys do is you prepare this annual report, The Cost of Pet Health Care. Now, tell us about that report and what prompted your organization to create it.
6: Well, Charlotte, that is a report that we've been doing for a couple of years. And one of the things that we felt was really important is to make sure that pet parents really understood the, uh, the range and the advances in veterinary medicine. I mean, there's hardly a, a thing we can't do for our four-legged family members that we can do for our two-legged family members. Uh, so the advances of veterinary care have been amazing. But with that has come the cost. And the increased costs. And what we wanted to do was to provide a, an educational piece so that pet parents could get a better idea of the types of things that could happen, the unexpected things that could happen to their uh, four-legged family members, and then also give a little uh, feel for them so they get a, a, an idea of what the costs are, the, the types of treatments, but also the advanced costs so they can be prepared in advance, either you know uh, having enough money aside to take care of that or Uh, Considering the benefits of pet health insurance?
2: I mean, one thing about the report that I really liked, I mean, it's beautifully done, but one thing I really liked about it is the expenses were broken down. So even if you're not familiar or you just peruse the report because you're a pet owner and you're curious, it really helps you understand what things are involved in what particular uh, malady your pet could be having. And I thought that was really key and a great educational tool to um, make sure pet owners are aware of all of the things. I mean, I live with Dr. Fleck in a vet clinic, so we kind of see that all the time, but that was, I think, very, that's very, very helpful for pet owners.
3: So really, in conjunction with, what you're, with what you're just talking about, Charlotte, is, you know, the big question, why is healthcare so expensive?
6: Yeah, that's uh, one of the things that's kind of interesting, uh, and, and Dr. Mike, you, you probably know, the condition that is mostly noted in the medical records is ADR, ain't doing right. <laughs> and uh, it's because, because, you know, the dog or cat can't talk to you. It can't tell you what the heck they've just done. And so you've kind of got to go through this differential and, and rule outs. And that's one of the things that's really interesting because, you know, it could cost 1500 to $2,000 for all the diagnostics, the great diagnostics that are now available. And we haven't even started treating the pet. And so those, again, are some of the things that we want to do is make sure that pet parents are aware of that and that we can always provide the best possible veterinary care to our four-legged family members and never be limited by our, by our pocketbook. And that's where pet health insurance really comes in.
3: Yeah, I had an ADR just before I came in for the interview.
6: <laughs> that's right. That's a, that's, it's usually a, a comical one. It's, uh, it's only known in your circle. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, if you've just joined us, we're speaking with Rob Jackson, CEO of Healthy Paws Pet Insurance about his organization's annual Cost of Pet Health Report. Oops, I'm sorry. Annual Cost of Pet Health Care Report. We got to get that yes. right. So, tell us about Now, this is what I thought was really interesting because I think people are just want to want to go there. If this is the thing that gets you to go there, that's great. But tell us about the most expensive dog and cat claims.
6: Mm, Yeah, you've seen it in the report there. We've got uh, on the dog side, the Lupa, German Shepherd, that uh, was providing, you know, again, presenting with all sorts of symptoms. They weren't really sure what happened. And it was, uh, you know, associated with tetanus uh, toxin, which, you know, can be a bacteria that they can get from a a wound or whatever on that. And here's where stuff really starts adding up. Um, You know, there had to be hospitalized, lots of tests uh, the total vet care was $52,000. $52,000. Um, yeah,
2: 52,
6: yeah. Yeah. And because, uh, uh, our pet parent actually had the healthy pause, we paid $46,000 of that. And, uh, uh, you know, that's, uh, and, and, you know, loop is out of the hospital now doing a lot better. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, once you start looking at emergency care and the pet starts to being hospitalized, that's where, boy, uh, things can really add up. Yeah. It really adds up quickly too, doesn't it? Oh my. Oh, it does. It does. And you know, on, on the cat side, we had a, an interesting phenomenon. Sima, uh, actually fell from a five story window and, and that's fairly rare, you know, cause cats are pretty agile. They usually land on their feet, you know, the old nine lives thing, but we actually had, you know, broken bones and, uh, it was twenty-eight thousand dollars again, because of the hospitalization and surgery that was involved. And you know, those are some of the larger ones, um, but there are a lot of claims. I mean, you take your dog out to the dog park, and you got that chuck-it ball, and you throw it out there, and, and they run after, it and all of a sudden they they kind of turn on one of their 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 uh, their legs, and boom, they pop an ACL. Well, Doctor Mike, you well know that they used to be able to repair that you know, just uh, by repairing the you know the, the cruciate ligament. Uh, now we've got with the same absolute condition, we've got uh, different procedures with TPLO and TTA, different things that man uh, we can prepare repair that uh, you know that cruciate just like new on that, and those are the things that can run in the neighborhood of three thousand to forty five hundred dollars. Mm. Uh, so you know it's everything from a bee sting you know, all the way up to cancer. um, Again, it's the unexpected, uh, not the expected. It's not the routine care. Those those are the things that a responsible pet parent, you know, pays for. But you want to make sure that in the event that something unexpected happens, uh, that you're going to always provide the best possible veterinary care for that four-legged family.
3: Yeah, that claim, that $52,000 claim didn't come from my hospital
6: either.
2: (laughs) 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 Well... We want to know, what are the top 10 reasons that people take their dog to the vet?
6: Well, you know, you've, you, you, you've probably got them broken down. The majority of the cases fall in the first two or three. Uh, you know, skin conditions are probably the top. Uh, you know, all the itchy stuff that uh, you yep. see the dog sort of scratching on. Uh, stomach issues, too. You know, they're always eating something, or they're licking, or they're, they're you know, drinking, you know, water, and you get bacteria in there, and they're throwing up diarrhea uh, ear infections. That's a really common one there too. And then eye conditions. And then you start getting into smaller places where, you know, you got the lumps and bumps, uh, the urinary tract infections, uh, allergies, cruciate ligament injuries, which I just referred to, you know, when that happens, that usually happens in larger dogs, not so much on the, on the smaller ones. And then the, 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 the last one in the top 10 is cancer. And, uh, that happens a lot in certain types of breeds, uh, golden retrievers, uh, boxers, uh, uh, German Shepherds, that type of thing.
2: And you've actually seen more claims in that area, have you not, in, in recently than in past years?
6: Yeah. Well, what's been really interesting is again, in the advances of veterinary medicine, we've got some different types of treatments now from a cancer standpoint that really are excellent. They're a lot more costly, um, but they work. Where it used to be. You know, several years ago, and Dr. Mike can probably bear this out, um, she's in order for you to try sort of cancer treatment. The, the dog had to be pretty young and pretty healthy. Now uh, we have different types of treatments. Uh, and, again, that's one of the things that uh, you could be going in and having, instead of having uh, treatment going over, uh, you know, 12 months, you can actually have a knife treatment that can do it in two or three places, two or three uh uh, events and, and treatment uh, sessions, but that's going to run, you know, about eleven or $12,000. Um, and so uh, the results have been very good from that, but extremely expensive. Again, that's one of the reasons why, you know, you want to make sure that you've got that health insurance for those types of things.
3: And, and I, I assume CATS, uh, the, the claims are pretty much in the same way?
6: A little little bit different. Yeah, you know, the categories are probably, you've got stomach issues again. And and UTIs probably move up. The urinary tract infections for, for cats, uh, still skin conditions. Cancer's up a little higher in the list on that. But the rest of them, you know, are pretty much eye conditions, ear infections, that type, allergies. You know, um, uh, the same type of thing. Most of the top ten for each are, are, are probably fairly similar. Just the, the stomach issues seem to be a little bit more prevalent in, in cats. Wow.
2: Okay. Well, we've got about well, 30 seconds before we have to wrap it up. So, last question. What should pet owners take away from your report?
6: I think that if the pet is a part of the family and is a family member, that you want to make sure that you've got your four-legged family member covered. And uh, I would definitely uh, ask them to, to look in the benefits of pet health insurance so you can be prepared in the event that something unexpected happens, that you can always provide them the best possible veterinary care.
3: Well, Rob, thanks for joining us. Please give us your website. It's healthypawspetinsurance.com.
2: Great. Thank you so much for being with us. That was Rob Jackson, CEO of Healthy Paws Pet Insurance, discussing the top 10 reasons dogs and cat go to the vet, as well as the benefits of having health insurance. We're going to take a commercial break and be back in a flash.
6: When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? Epi Pet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, visit www.epi-pet.com.
4: Oh, huh. mm. I
2: know
3: a place.
2: Hey, we're back and you're listening to the Pet Was with Pet Trendologist Charlotte Reed and Veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. I hate this part of the show. It's unfortunately I know it's it. time to wrap it up. It just went so fast. I did. But before we go, Doc, can you give us a preview for next week's show?
3: Next week we're going to talk with the cat daddy of them all, Jackson Galaxy. He's going to be here with us. Also. We're going to talk about the fountain of youth drug for dogs, rapamycin.
2: Ooh, and can you also thank our guests for this week?
3: Special thanks to our guests, Dr. Paul McGreevy, Dr. Deborah Horowitz, and Rob Jackson.
2: And we always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin, coat, and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere.
3: If you want more pet buzz, sign up for our newsletter at newsletter at the And don't forget to send us your questions. Send us your comments. Send us your photos at team at the Now just remember newsletter at the and team
2: at the petbuzz.com. cool? Comments and photos. And just so you know, you can always follow along on our social media channels as the show airs. We drop our pictures and thoughts. And if you missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels and listen to the link podcast on Monday morning.
3: Most important. Importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed, and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.
0: The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this
4: program.